I wanted to make sure I had this since we were going to talk about uh, cleaving unto your spouse. Uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I brought this with right. me. <laughs> Two definitions of cleave. <laughs> yeah. yeah, are we recording? Yeah, we're recording. Okay, perfect, perfect. So that's what we're going to talk about today, Cameron? Yeah. What? Okay. So you, you watched the video of Sarah and I talking about cleaving unto none else and some of the struggles we had. And you told me, you said, I'm going to try and quote you. I'll come close. It, you said, that's so foreign to me. Yeah. That, that, that was an issue. And we're yeah. so similar in a lot of ways. I love to pick at the things where we're different because that's where I learn the most. Yeah. It was foreign to me because... You know, it, it was, um, her, your wife wasn't sure she could trust you yet. Like she, you know, obviously her father, she had grown up with her father and he'd been there forever. Yeah. Right? And through that, you develop trust just because somebody's there, you know? Mm -hmm. But when Shelly and I got married, I, I'm not sure she had some of those some of those unique hangups may, and I'll call them hangups and maybe that's the wrong word. Again, the disclaimer for this is if we say something that offends you, that's not what we're trying to do at all. We, we're, right. we're just trying to be helpful and we might use the right word. Please forgive us. Right. <laughs> sure. So I don't want to, my wife didn't have those hangups. When we start, when we got married, it's almost like, uh, I don't know. I was, I, I kind of felt, I wasn't, I had some issues with my mom, mm -hmm. but I didn't. And so it, it's interesting. I had some issues with my mom because my mom, I had four brothers or three brothers and one sister and we were wild. Okay. Growing up, we were wild. And so my mom would lose her patience and she would whoop us good. I mean, she would, I, I can name probably a hundred things I got whooped with. Right. And I took my last whooping at 19 years old. Right. So. When I started dating, I was looking for a woman who was not, I'll, I'll call it crazy, right? I wanted steady. And when I met Shelly, she was the most steady, solid. So when she was good for me, because I was more of the crazy one, you know? Sure. And so when we, when we got married, it was like, I, I just loved this girl, right? I was just like, she was what I needed, a st stabilizing force in my life. And so... When we got married, we didn't, we didn't have those issues like you're talking about. Most of our issues were she was quietly stubborn, passive aggressive. Okay. And so, and I was aggressive, aggressive with my issues. So we kind of had to organize our together that way, but we really, we really made an effort to, to talk about those things. If we had some conflicts, we would try to figure them out pretty quick, you know? And yeah. so we, we didn't go through kind of some of those to me, what you discussed uh -huh. with your wife initially seemed like silly, like surface level silly. Oh, you know what I'm saying? But, but deeply, I mean, yeah. but f frankly, it's not silly because it creates this, it creates other stuff, right? So even the surface level silly stuff creates, can create contention and frustration mm -hmm. and that's, and become a problem, right? So I, I get. I understood. It's interesting. I told my son last night, I was going to talk to you about, uh, I always like to ask him what he thinks, right? Uh -huh. Leaving unto your spouse. 
and I shared with him your kind of how basic. Long, how long has he, how long has he been married now? It's gotta be like four married, years. Four years. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Go ahead. And, and I kind of share with him your, the story that you kind of told with your wife about fixing the car. Mm -hmm. And he said, that sounds really interesting to me. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, it's maybe it's the way you just described it was interesting. Maybe the way that maybe it didn't connect with him. And I said, oh, okay. Well, I, maybe I'm just way off, but he's, you know, <laughs> well, well, okay. So for those who haven't seen that video, um, my wife, when we were first, when we first got married, um, we were young. How old were you when you got married, Kyle? I was 25 and she had just turned 20. Okay. So there's a five-year difference between you and Shelly. Sarah and right. I have a two-year difference. And I married her when she was 19. I was 21. Okay. And she had never been out on her own. And she grew up in a home where, um, you know, she was the youngest of eight kids. So it was normal for her until all of her siblings left for her to sleep in the same bed as a sibling, like, you know, little house on the prairie style, instead sure. of it being a bunch of them, it was just, you know, two. And, um, so when we first got married, there was, uh, she was used to relying and, uh, relying upon, uh, her parents and specifically her dad who would do things. And as she'd gotten older, she'd watched her older siblings go out into the world and do things. And she was able to just kind of absorb what they would do and in their marriages, how things would work. And she had, uh, just like all of us who aren't exposed to other things, that's, that became normal. Right. And so whether it was a sibling who moved back in to live with her folks, because that's, that was normal. Um, in fact, when we first got married, we lived in the basement apartment of her parents' place. And it was really cool because we were the, she was the youngest of eight. So every child who lived there, and I think all but one lived in that apartment, they would do an improvement. So by the time we got there, we had a kitchen and, um, you know, I guess there, the first, there wasn't even a door to the apartment make it separate so yeah. that i can imagine that was a challenge but anyway so that's how it was right um reliant upon her dad reliant upon her parents and for me i wanted us to rely on each other and to cleave unto each other and none else right and it it wasn't an instant fix it wasn't something that immediately took effect for her and the story i share in the other podcast is when uh, we had a Buick Park Avenue. It was a sweet ride and it was so awesome and it needed a brake. It needed its brakes replaced. And I'm not mechanically inclined, but I can read books back then. I read books. Now I use the internet, but, um, and I would, it was normal for me to go down to the library or go down and buy a book or check out a book and read it on how to do it and then do things. Sure. Um, and I had never done uh, breaks by myself. I probably, you know, held the flashlight from my dad growing up and, uh, it was hot. And so I told her I was going to go get the brakes. I was going to go replace the brakes over at my dad's house. 
And somehow, uh, in her mind, because all of the vehicles were all taken care of by a mechanic, her dad would take it out. And our mechanic was awesome. Um, their, their mechanic was awesome. Uh, we adopted their mechanic, uh, but we couldn't afford a mechanic. We could barely afford to get the brakes changed. So I was going to do it ourselves. And it caused some great anxiety inside for her. And for whatever reason, she started talking to her dad and she invited her dad to come help me replace the brakes on my car before she even talked to me. And then the mistake that was made was she came out to say, Hey, would you like some help from my dad? And I said, no. So now what is she supposed to do? Call her dad and say, don't come. Right. That's what she's supposed to do. (laughs) I didn't want dad to come help me. I needed space to figure out things, discover my own, you know, manhood and replace the brakes on our car. Um, Right. She didn't tell me that she had already talked to her dad. The next thing I knew, her dad showed up and it, uh, to me, that was a little bit of a betrayal because I had just told her, no, I don't need any help. Right. And then, you know, half hour, 45 minutes later, her dad shows up to help me replace the brakes on a car. Right. That, that was an example of not cleaving to anyone else. She didn't use me as her helpmate. She still was reliant upon her dad. Now. This was early in our marriage, but it was an example that was as clear as day to me of an example of where we weren't cleaving unto each other. We, we were still cleaving upon others first. So, and, and, and I, that was, I, I think that's a great example. You know, when I told, when I talked to my son about it, he said, i that's a good example. And I was like, oh, well, I guess maybe I'm just jacked here. Right. Because it was, it's it, but. I think what you're describing here is there's a transition period, right? Mm-hmm. And there's probably a transition period. Uh, there's probably a transition period for both of us, right? Because I know I've, I've talked to, there were times when my wife would come to me and say, hey, could you talk to this guy? You know, she's got a, a girlfriend and her husband is a mama's boy. And I'm like, no, I'm not uh, talking to guy. And she's like, yeah. what? I'm like, that's not my stewardship. That's not my deal. That, and why is she talking to you about that? First of all, that, that sounds like something she needs to figure out with her husband. Right. Right. And, it, and, it, and, it, and I think a lot of times we, you know, we come into these relationships with different, we'll call it baggage. You know, it, it, it's good sure. and bad stuff. It's different stuff. Right. And we don't know, mm-hmm. you can't know everything about who you marry. So you don't know what they're bringing in until you, till they bring it in. Right. Right. I think a lot of what we're talking about is just starting with an open line of communication and trying to, trying to understand what people are bringing in. Right now, the way we handle it is the interesting part, right? Because when you use the word betrayal Mm -hmm. for betrayal for a break job, it sounds like you're being super dramatic to me, right? It's a break job. Interesting. Like, but I understand what you're saying, right? I get it. In its in its essence. Is there yeah. another word that I could use instead of betrayal? Because for me, well, I, I can't think of another word. You were probably a little hurt that she didn't come to you first, right? I mean, well, that, I was mad. 
Okay. So maybe well, primary just, emotion was hurt. A secondary emotion, I was yeah. ticked off. Well, that I think that's I was going to deal with another person trying to do this break job after I told her I didn't want help. Yeah, I think that's what men do, though. We we take hurt and make it anger because hurt is not okay. masculine a lot of times, right? All right. It's not. It's natural for us to go to anger when we get hurt, right? Sure. But yeah, so when you when you use the word betrayal, I'm thinking betrayal sounds so. It sounds harsh, boy. I'm like, she was just trying to help. You know, my perspective is. Oh, interesting. But, okay. man, yeah, I get what you're saying, you know. And, and so I think when, too, it probably comes I, from. To, go ahead. It probably comes from. There were probably other little, other little things that happened that got you to that word, right? That got you there. Because well, maybe is there a minor right. word for when someone does something against your own wishes and you're supposed to be a partnership <laughs> you know, I don't together? Know that there's, I don't know that there's a great word for it. I'm trying to think I'm going to Google it. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, because if I were to use the word betrayal with Shelly, I don't know that that's a word I would ever try to use with my wife, ever, right? Now, and I don't, and again, it has this connotation of something deeper, but I think that's, it's, you know, words are powerful, right? Yeah. And I, and personally, if, if I'm doing the breaks and my, my father-in-law wasn't, isn't mechanical, so that wouldn't have happened, but had, she said, do you need help? And I said, no, I got it. And then her dad showed up. I probably would have said, I personally probably would have said, She's just probably trying to get me help because I'm not, I don't, maybe I'm not perfect in this situation. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have affected me the same way. However, okay. so it might be something different, right? I mean, there's different circumstances. So I Googled it and disloyal is the other word. I, yeah, that sounds to pretty hard. Well, it is harsher than betrayal. <laughs> so that's yeah. funny. For just so you know, for me, it just was another example of where I was not worthy of her trust. See that now you eyes. just said a word there, another example. Mm -hmm. That that word means a lot, right? Because at some point yeah. she had done some other things that had given you this impression, right? Whereas I it wasn't one story in the first yeah, yeah. six years of our marriage. Right. This was right. This was a struggle for us to come together and only cleave unto each other and none else. Right. This was an ongoing issue. Right. So for me, I just use that as an example yeah. of an overlying uh, theme, which was in our marriage, one of the hardest things was the uh, me not feeling worthy of her trust because of the actions that showed her that sh she didn't trust me. Yeah. And that, that break example, she didn't trust me that I would do it, that I would do it in a way that was safe. So, and because she didn't trust me and maybe she did trust me, but she trusted her dad more. And that to me was, uh, can't think of another word. Uh, I know what you're saying. Yeah. I get what you're, you're real. And I wish, Hey, someone put in the comments a better word. <laughs> Because yeah. it was a request, she said, you know, 
no, I don't want any help. Don't call your dad. Mm -hmm. And her dad showed up. Now, granted, she had talked to her dad beforehand, and then in right. embarrassment, she didn't tell me. Uh, yeah. I already called on his way. You know, in her mind, she thought I was going to want the help. Right? We were new at marriage. We we hadn't been together for more than three years. I think a total, like from first date to this point. Yeah. And she, assumed that of course I would want help not realizing that I needed to figure it out and I because of the way that I learn I need space I don't I I can't absorb information with someone directing me and telling me to do things I need to actually look at the breaks need to analyze need to experiment a little bit right and then uh, reference material and then go to apply it. It's uh, very frustrating for others because when, um, if we're chopping wood, uh, yeah, show me the basics and then give me an ax, you know, tell me what to do to be safe and then get out of the way because I need That's to it. figure it out. Got to kinetically get my hands on and do it. So, yeah, and that's something you may have learned late, even after you're, you might not have been aware of that in its, in, I mean, the oh, thing yeah. is, yeah. 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 See, we don't, we, you bring some stuff in and she brings some stuff in and there can be conflict. Right. You know, I asked, yeah. it was it because I asked my son about this and, and the first thing that he said, which was interesting to me is he said, um, see, and I, and I think maybe because he's been around me so much is that when kids come along, right? It can rip you apart or bind you together, right? And sometimes it can do both at the same time. <laughs> For sure. Right? And, and this is going to sound harsh to a lot of people who hear it, but my kids knew from day one, if we're on a boat and you've heard this, Cameron, and the boat is sinking and I can save Shelly, my wife, or all six kids, one or the other, they're going to die because I'm saving her. Right. She yep. is top of the heat, you know, and that's the first thing you said to me when I asked him about cleaving unto your spouse. Right. Is he said, is that he said that gave me, you know, he's my son. He would die in this situation. He said it just gave me confidence that you loved her. So he said, I knew you loved me. Right. You love we love our kids. Sure. But then we got into a conversation about how moms, when they have kids, right? Dads become secondary for many, many, many years to the moms, right? They become That's secondary. Yeah. And, and, and it's, we have to understand that that's, that's part of their process, right? We have to be patient and kind and loving because we are not, we do not appear to be like, we're not going to be top of the heap for a while. Now, but just because of the, I, I want to say just because the nurture, the mothers, the motherings and nurturing, right? The way they have to, uh, one of the, I'll share something with you. It's pretty interesting. So years ago, my wife used to like to buy old furniture, refinish it and resell it. Right. Yeah. And I was her slave labor, right? Which it, it didn't take me long to realize it made her happy. Right. And it kept me busy and mm -hmm. I wanted her happy and I probably needed to stay busy, you know, 
And so I would be out there sanding and painting and she would come out and, and she would just light up, right? I would say, what are you, what are you going to do with this? She'd say, I'm going to sand it down and paint it, you know? And I would say, oh, well, I know how to sand, right? And I would just, Saturday mornings, I would get up and go sand and, and it would light her up, right? And I knew that. And I, that was kind of what I wanted. Like, and the more I served her, the more, I, you know, the more you serve somebody, the more you love them. It's just natural for that to happen. Well, she had purchased, she had a show coming up that she was going to do, and she had a bunch of furniture and I needed help. And so at the time, I think Alec and Zach were maybe 15 and 13 teenagers, right? Years where they're turning into men and they want right. to do their thing and be men, right? Sure. When I said, Hey, you two boys, I need you to come out here and help me sand this stuff. Right. And they, they're like, really? I'm busy. I'm like busy doing what? Well, I'm, I'm reading this book and I'm playing a video game, you know? I said, well, that's not busy. Just come out and help me. Give me a, give me an hour or two and you'll, it, it'll be wonderful. So we went outside and I remember I was standing with my boys and, you know, they, they put up a battle. They didn't want to. Right. And Alec, my oldest was more of a, Zach was kind of a, he would just dive in and do it. He knew that he wasn't getting out of it, but Alec would, why are we doing this? Come on, dad. You know, I mean. Every, we going to do this every, he just kept, you know, sure. And, and finally he said, you know what, dad, why do we keep doing this? I mean, and I said, you know what, son, you, you learn, you serve people you love. That's what shows them you love them. Right. And this makes your mother happy. And so I'm happy to serve because I know it's going to make her happy. And You'll get the same result out of this. If you sand and she sees it, it's going to make her happy. She's going to, you're going to be serving your mother and we're doing it because we love her. And guess what? Next weekend, there'll be more furniture. You're going to keep doing it, right? It, it's, this doesn't end, but we can do it one of two ways. We can do it, you know, feeling disgusted or we can whistle while we work and realize we're serving those we love, right? Right. So, uh, the next Saturday morning, uh, Alec, has something he wants to go do. And I hear the sander come on early in the morning. Oh, okay. Like eight, eight o'clock in the morning. And I look over and Shelly's gone. She's already up, which is unusual for Shelly. Mm -hmm. And so I think something's going on. She's, she's either engaged him to get to work early or right. And sure. I go downstairs and she's peeking out of the back. She's looking out in the garage. She's peeking through the door, watching him. And I said, what's going on? And she said, well, Alec wanted to do something this morning, but he wanted to, he came down and started sanding kind of early and woke me up. And I said, did you tell him to stop sanding and let you sleep? And she said, no, I, I came down and saw him sanding. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm sanding this furniture because I want to go do some stuff, but I want to get this knocked out. And she said, well, you don't have to do that. Why are you doing it? He said, because I love you. He told his oh, mom. That's sweet. Yeah. And, and she was watching him, right? And it was really a, a cool thing to see him. It it registered with him like a moment, you know, and you don't really know what your kids catch and what they don't catch. Sure. But he, and and during his marriage, I've seen him. She's his Alec, his wife is his queen. And he turns to her and he just talks to her like the sweetest queen, right? Hey, what do you think of this? Is this okay? And he, 
his voice changes when he talks to her than when he talks to us, right? Mm. And it's really see that and I can see what he's doing. And it, it, that's what you want. You want to model that, right, for your kids. You want them to see you talk to your wife in a certain way and treat her in yep. a certain way. And I think that's a big part of cleaving is just realizing that a lot of that is just service. You know, your wife's going to have you build planter boxes and she's going to have you do all these things that as a man, you're like, I could just hire that out, you know, or I, I got better things to do than that. I want to go play golf, right? Or whatever it is you decide you want to do. But there's, to me, there's so much value in doing it. Even if you can hire it out, I don't want her seeing mm -hmm. some and build that for her. I want to see me building it for her, right? Because it shows her, it, the service shows her that I love her, you know? And to me, that's a lot of what cleaving is, right? It's just being yeah. willing, being willing to push yourself aside and just do what, because you know, you want them to see your love for them. Right. So for you doing those little acts of service was an expression of love. Uh, have you read the book, the five love languages? Sure. Or have you, are you familiar with the concept? I am. Yeah. Did you know that I didn't discover until two years ago, maybe less that my wife's love language were, was not words of affirmation. I thought that's yeah. what her love language was. It was Yeah. Right. Mine, my it's wife a, wasn't either. Yeah, yeah. Which is a shame because I was really good. Yeah. That, that's pouring out words of affirmation for her. Obviously your love language is words of affirmation probably because that's what you, you typically we, we determine Do what art yeah. is and then we, then we push it on somebody else. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. Did you so find out one of the was? things now, so you I did? And it, it's an act of service. <laughs> and <laughs> what's funny about that, Kyle, is as soon as I started using the combination of uh, words, excuse me, as soon as I started doing acts of service, I, I pointed out to her that the reason I'm doing this is because I love her. And what's yeah. funny about that is there's a, I was telling someone else this and they said, well, that just blew it. I was like, why is that? And she goes, and the lady, it was another person. She goes, because that totally defeats the purpose. I was like, oh no, you're obviously your love language is not acts of service because it, she glowed. My wife glows when I say, Hey, I just scrubbed the toilet without being asked, which is funny. Cause you know, I'm an adult. I scrubbed the toilet. I used to scrub the toilet anyway without being asked. But now right. I say, hey, I did this because I love you. And she just says, smiles, you know, she just yeah. kind of lights up a little bit. And talk about a way to get me to do anything. I don't, it, think it, it can be something I absolutely despise and hate. But to get that little bit of a smile and a little bit of glow, I'll do that all day long. So anyway, and now when I'll go load the dishwasher or do one of those chores that the kids didn't get to and instead of just letting it go i'll just say hey i went and did this and i have to point it out because she has so much going on in her life and there are so many people that could have done it i want her to know that i did that for her and right this other person was like nah that weakens it and i totally disagree it does not weaken it in this case because she wouldn't know yeah. if it was me one of our other awesome kids that might've done their jobs or done something. So, yeah, 
my it, it's interesting because even though I, I'm okay with acts of service for my wife, that wasn't her love language either. So her love really? language was time, just spend time with her walking around and chat. So it, it, if we would go somewhere, like if there was a, you know, the nutcracker or something comes in, I just buy tickets without her knowing and we go together and I say, nice. Hey, we're going somewhere, put a dress on or whatever, you know, that was, that was it for her. And, and so, but yeah, you, you, you got to figure out what it is. Right. But certainly mm-hmm. I think, um, I think it's not a bad idea to do all of them, right. All the love languages cover all the bases, cover all the bases, right. One of the, <laughs> one of the, one of the interesting things is hers wasn't acts of service, right. But my okay. wife, I knew, here's what, and for those of you that don't know my situation, my wife passed away almost two years ago. Uh, so some of, some of the people listening to this may not know this. And we were, we were married for 30 years and we had, we had created what she and I both called a top 1% happy marriage. Now, I don't know how that can be quantified, but it doesn't really matter because I said it and she said it. And that's what really mattered. Right. And I think because we had, because we both said it and both believed it, it was like this self-fulfilling prophecy, right? We went to, uh, we went to the bank one time to move our money from one bank to another. One of our, the bank changed ownership and it was a mess. And I tried to buy. How long long have you guys been married at this point? About 25 years. Okay. So this was not that this was just five years ago. Yeah. Years ago. Yeah. Not long, not too, not too long. Okay. And the bank changed ownership. We go to Walmart, fill our basket up and they won't. They won't take our card to buy the, and it's, just, we have to push the basket to the side. I call the bank and they say, yeah, whatever their excuse was. And I said, that's the last straw I'm moving my money. Right. So yeah. we go to the bank we sit down in front of a this lady, this banker. And we say, Hey, we want to move our money from that bank to your bank. And, and it takes a little while and there's a little, you know, you got to sign certain things and do things. And my wife and I are just sitting there chatting as we do this and the ladies, you know, sign this, do this, let's transfer this. And, and at the end, the lady says, she smiled at us, the two of us. And she said, are you guys newlyweds? And my wife, Shelly started laughing. Yeah. And she said, no, we've been married 25 years. And the lady was just shocked. And she said, it's not unusual for couples that are in their second or third marriages to come in here newlyweds and act like you act. But I've never seen a couple that's been married 25 years that talk to each other and have so much fun like you two just did. It's just, and and as we left, my wife said, Shelly said, I, it, I feel like we just, you know, reignited her belief in in marriage, you know, and and I think it's because, uh, you know, first of all, she knew she was number one, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talked about a little bit before how, when you, you come in with different things, right? Yeah. And I'll share one other experience with you, um, that illustrates that my wife came into things I didn't even know with things I didn't know about. My wife was more, uh, 
I had to work to get her to share intimate things like details, right? She was, she was just, she was passive and kind of shy. And, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it her time to really let me see her completely. You know what I'm saying? And so one night we would, we had been married about 20 years <laughs> and we used to go into our room and we would pray together at the end of the bed, which by the way, you want to, that's really helpful if you want to develop a, a beautiful relationship together, right? Pray together yeah. over kids and over each other and over your situation and over finances and over, right? And we would, we would sit at the end of the bed and just talk about what are some of the things that we should probably focus on and pray about, right? And then we would pray together and we stood up from praying together and we sat in the bed and we were just kind of, I think I was about to grab a book and read for a few minutes because it usually makes me tired. And my wife, Shelly, turned to me and she said, you really love me, don't you? Hmm. And I said, 20 years. In my mind, I said, what? We've been married 20 years. Yeah. We got six kids. I mean, I, I live for you, right? I work for you. I, mm -hmm. Everything, I, I didn't say this, but I was thinking it. And I said, of course, right? Of course. And she was tearing up, right? And it, and it, it kind of made me a little upset that she didn't even know that until now. How could you question? You know, this is all going through my mind, but I'm not seeing anything. I, I realize sometimes it's better to just be kind of quiet, you know? Sure. But in over the next couple of days, I, the more I thought about it, the more I realized it took my wife 20 years. I don't know. You know, maybe she had some insecurities. Maybe there was things that she was figuring out, right? But now she knew, right? And what a wonderful thing that was for her to now absolutely know. Know of it, yeah. And Not just conceptually, but to have it be part of her now that she can... Act what identifies her as her is an external, someone loves her externally beyond her, regardless of how she feels about herself. She knows that her husband loves her. That, that's yeah, really and, neat. And what the cool thing about it is, and what, what I'm suggesting here is many of us men, we, we can pour our hearts and souls into our women yeah, and we don't know, right? who, what they come into it with. We don't know their insecurities. We don't know all that stuff. That's right. We don't know. Right. So sometimes it just takes time. You just got to do the right things, simple, right things on a consistent basis, apologize, be kind. And eventually, hopefully, you know, I've never mm -hmm. done anything to make her think I was anything other than a, you know, a hard working, you know, we obviously, marriages are hard and you have conflict and you go through all the same things everybody does, but sure. there'd never been any infidelity or anything that would make her challenge that assumption. Right. And yeah. so for it to take her 20 years made me realize that there's probably, you know, people that are in 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 year marriages that your wife might not really know. Mm -hmm. She might still be figuring it out. Right. And so it's important for us men to understand 
we got to give them every, I mean, we got to keep proving it, you know, we just got to keep proving it and yeah, don't ever stop trying to prove it. Right. You know, that it's interesting because to earlier you said there's a transition period and I think that's true for all of these things there there's transition periods and some of them are short for some people and some of them are long for some people but i think there's probably um a bell curve where you know there's the exceptions on either end but the majority of women i feel like they don't internalize the good and the positive about themselves from the perspective of a spouse for a very long time and it's almost as if they're just waiting for this negativity, this little seed of doubt, just to be proven correct. And I've seen it where um, things are messed, missed. Uh, one, I'll give you an example. You can have like uh, 30 acts of love and then a negative little seed. It, one thing, it sprouts. And that's what they nurture and you know they feed and i say they because my wife has worked hard to not do that uh, purposefully but it uh it's kind of a warning to husbands to be gentle with your spouse because if um even if your spouse fights back and you have words of contention you better choose your words to not be digging at them make it, uh, you know, make your words going towards something else. Uh, sorry, I I'm thinking of examples that I'm not allowed to share because it's not my story, <laughs> but I will say this, um, another word that I'm going to replace betrayal with is let down. Yeah, there you go. That's much better. That's much better. I feel like at least for me, maybe other people are okay with betrayal, but betrayal seems so harsh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so for me, and you know what it was, that was the word that came to my mind. Betrayal yeah. wasn't a permanent thing though, but if you look into the definition and how it's used historically in language, it's a betrayal ends relationships. And that's not what, that's not the word I was trying. That's not the meaning I was trying to use, but let down that phrase of being let down. That was just another bump in this long road we call marriage. So. I'll yeah. use that one from now on. And I appreciate I like, you calling I, me out on that. I, really, I like that so much better. I, because there is betrayal in marriage. And when you hear somebody say, I, there was some betrayal in my marriage, you're like, oh, that ruined it. Right. It, it almost makes you jump there immediately. Yeah. Right. Because betrayal just seems so That's harsh. True. Yeah. So. And what's funny is I, I understood what you were saying, but I couldn't come up with another word because yeah. it hurt so bad. Because <laughs> You know, yeah, that says more about me than it does about my wife. <laughs> I will, you know what? Here's one of the things that, and I, as I was thinking about this subject, and you know, for those of you who don't know, Cameron and I, Cameron will throw, we'll throw a subject out, and we think about it during the week, right? It, it crosses up because we want to, we want to come a little bit prepared, right? I had an experience um, when that changed me as a man. And I think it's, it, I'm not going to say it saved my marriage, but I can tell you it dramatically changed my marriage for the better. Okay. And so I want to share it because I think, um, I think it can be helpful. 
right? So for men specifically. And so when my wife, uh, my wife and I had four sons and we had stopped. After four sons, my wife said, that's it. We're just going to be, I'm just going to be the mother of boys, right? And I said, okay, right? Because we had boy after boy after boy. And we were trying for a girl every time. If we'd had a boy and a girl, we might have stopped. I don't know, right? So after four boys, we stopped. And six years later, my wife came to me. And she said, we need to try one more time for a girl. Can we pray about it? Who? Oh. And I said, let's pray about it. Because, you know, I mean, we got kids now that are, my youngest is six. He's about to go into elementary. That changes things, right? Now you don't have babies around. Yeah. You're, it's like freeing a little bit, right? Dumb. Yeah. And we prayed about it and and didn't take long for us to realize we should try again to have a girl, yeah. right? Well, she ended up getting pregnant with twins. This really scared me because I thought if I have two more boys, she's going to kill me, right? But one of them ended up being a girl, which is fantastic. I have twins that are one boy and one girl. They're now 15. So this is, 15, you know, 15 years ago. And so she gets pregnant with the twins. And shortly after, about, I don't know, six weeks into the pregnancy, I have this intuition right? A thought crosses my mind okay. that Shelly's going to die in childbirth. Uh, and ooh. I know, well, all thoughts cross my mind all the time. And I'm sure. really good at, at pushing them out and saying that ain't right. I'm really good at that. But if it keeps coming back, I start to pay attention. I feel like I have divine guidance. I like to, I like to think I have God on my side to help me, right? And so when things, when it kept coming back, it, it scared me and it got kind of real, right? And I started to get a little nervous. Well, with, uh, with six months left, they put her on full bed rest. What? At how many months? She had six months left. So after three months of being pregnant, they oh. put her on full bed rest. She was not allowed Whoa. to do anything, right? Whoa, okay. And in my mind, this was a check mark. I'm going to yeah. lose my wife in childbirth, right? Yeah. Well, I'm getting scared now. And I think, yeah. who can I? I can't tell anybody. I can't tell her. I can't. So I start, I get serious about this. I start praying. This can't be right. Comfort me. Let me know that I'm just off my rocker. And that's yeah. not. That is not what I received back. Oh. Okay. I received back. Prepare yourself. Right. So I'm inside. Now, keep in mind, I'm really good at hiding my pain. Right? Sure. And I don't want to, I don't want to, and I could be wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong. And I don't want to dump this on the world or it's, it's all me. It's me and God. Right. So I start, I start kind of a little preparing, but thinking I'm just can't be right. I can't, this can't happen, you know? And I'm praying to right. God. This, well, with six weeks left, they take her and put her in the hospital. They take her away from us. Yeah. Put her in antipartum or whatever it's called. Yeah. yeah. And this is another check mark. 
in my mind. And, and now I get serious. Real serious about preparing, right? And I remember making a plan. You know, I'm a planner. If I'm going to raise yep. six kids on my own, I better be, I better have a plan. I, this can't be, I can't wing it, you know? But one of the things that I start doing is, you know, at the time, my two, my four oldest boys, the youngest is six and maybe nine and, you know, 13 and 16 or something. So she's in the hospital and I want my sons to know her as if she's going to leave. I want to spend as much time as possible with her. I want them to know her in, right? And so yeah, I, I create this habit. I wake up in the morning. I get all the kids ready. I take them to school. I go to work. At lunchtime, I go take my wife, Shelly, lunch and spend an hour with her. I go back home or I go back to work. I work till the kids get out of school. I go pick them up from school. We go home and we immediately go over to see her. And this is every day, right? Yeah. On the weekends, we wake up, we take our breakfast, we hang out with her all day. And while we're there, I'm asking her all questions, questions about her childhood, about, okay, the kids are learning all these yeah. great things about her, right? And, and I'm doing this because I want them to know her deeply, right? Yep. And I'm doing it. And I, 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 something interesting happens to me. I start doing these things in this love, in a spirit of love so deeply because I love her so deeply. Yeah. It's all about, I don't even care about the work. I don't care about taking care of all the kids by myself and cooking dinner. And I don't care about any of that stuff. Right. I don't care about having to take the kids to school and pick them up and go to work and Go back to see her. And, and, I, and I, I realize with about, with about two weeks left, right? She's scheduled to have the babies. With about two weeks left, I'm working. And my brother, I work for my brother at the time. His name's Craig. Craig walks by my office. And I'm distraught. Yeah. And he sees it. Right. And he says, what's going on? And I said, nothing, I, I, I got it, you know? And he says, and he walks in my office and shuts the door and says, what's going on, right? And this is the first time I've told anybody. So I tell him what's going on. And he stands there and just listens for a while. And then he says to me, you know what? Maybe there's a lesson for you to learn. And if you learn the lesson, maybe she doesn't have to die. Ooh. These are his exact that, words. That's a blessing and a curse in a sentence. That, and I think, oh. and it, what it does for me is it gives me hope. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I think, what do I need to learn? Right. And if I can learn it, she can stay. Right. And so I, uh, I realized very quickly in that moment that the old Kyle, I would do things out of obligation because I was supposed to be a good husband, right? Mm -hmm. If she asked me to do the dishes, I would do the dishes because I'm supposed to, and I'm a good husband. 
But sometimes I would see, I would see, I'd come mm. home from work and there's dishes in the sink. And I'm like, what did she do all day? I, I mean, why are the dishes, why is there so many dishes in the sink? And she would say, could you do those for me? And I would say, sure. And I would do them, but I wouldn't do them in a spirit of love. I would do them because I'm supposed to be a good husband, right? Well, what I realized is during this event and having to take my kids up there, I was doing things not out of obligation. I was doing things out of pure love for her, right? Hmm. And I thought, you know what? Maybe I need to stop doing things out of obligation because I want to be a good husband. And I need to do things because I flat out love her. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm doing things in the wrong spirit. And that maybe is the lesson I need to learn, right? So I'm filled sure. with hope. Right. I'm filled with this hope because I, I feel different. You know, I feel like, and I start, and I'm telling you, you know, you read in the scriptures how people would pray for hours or days, or let me tell you, I understand that now. Yeah. Because I was, I was praying for her to be spared and for me to learn whatever lesson. Well, anyway, you know, the good news is she was spared and the kids are healthy and every, she was, and it was interesting because it, it changed me to my core, this experience. Mm -hmm. And I would get home from work and I would see dishes in the sink and I would run to do them because I loved her and I would feel great about it. And she would say, Hey, Kyle, could you help me with this? And instead of doing it because I was obligated to, to be a good husband, I would run to do things for her because I loved her and I was so grateful she was here. Right. It, it, yeah. it changed me, the spirit of, in which I serve my wife and about, I'd say about six to nine months after the kids were born and we're at home one night, she came to me and she said, something is different. I feel like you love me more. And she said, what's going on? And I said, I, nothing. I, it's not something. I mean, how do you tell somebody? Right? I'm scared you were going to die. So I thought I'd actually show my love through action. Yeah. So, she said, I thought you were going to die. It's yeah, just an old you know, time. Don't worry. It'll wear off. Yeah. <laughs> well, she, it was interesting because she said, no, I really want to know you're different. You're, it, I, it feels different. The way you do things feels different. Yeah. And so I said, well, and I shared with her and we both cried. Right. And it was, mm -hmm. it, she said, and I, she said, did you write out a plan? Cause she knows me, right? When things go wrong, yeah. I say, we need a plan. And I say, yeah. And she said, can I see it? And I said, really? Do you really want it? And she said, yeah, I want to see it. It was 12 pages of detailed plans. And she just, you know, we just looked at it together. Just we're, We were so grateful, right? And I think what happens is as men, sometimes we do things out of obligation, right? We think I'm being a good man. I'm going to do it out of obligation. I'm going to serve because it's what I'm supposed to do. And I don't know that I could have learned that lesson any other way, unless I was pushed to the brink of to the brink. tragedy, right? Yeah. I had yep. to be pushed into the deepest, longest lasting, most painful experience, right? It was just, it was, it was brutal and nobody, I had to, I couldn't tell anybody I, I suffered alone, you know, and and I'm so grateful for that experience because it changed the way I 
did things for her and how I served her. And I think that's a big part of cleaving, right? It's not just service. It's service in a spirit of just love, right? Doing things not because you're supposed to or you're obligated or it's what good men do. Do things because you love them deeply, because you care, because you want them to feel that deeper love, right? And I don't know, maybe not everybody even gets there, but I'm so grateful now. I think that's one of the reasons she actually came to the conclusion that I actually, you know, really, truly loved her is because she felt it more than just me saying it or acting like it. She felt it, right? And I think that's a big part of cleaving is, is realizing service is not enough. Service in a spirit of love, true love, right? But just mm -hmm. because you love them is such a powerful uh, way to connect with your spouse. So I love that story, Kyle, and I'm going to say three or four things about it. Number one, your brother was very brave. Craig saying that that's a curse because saying that, Hey, maybe you have the ability to prevent the death of your spouse by changing. And then if you hadn't, if she had passed away. That that's, that's crazy. So good on your brother for being bold enough to plant the seed and good for you to be able to get, get hope out of that instead of dread. Cause you know where my mind would have gone. Oh crap. This is up to me. Ugh. And then, um, I love, you call it obligation. I call it duty. And I love doing things out of duty because I recognize that I don't have to like it. And that's not what you're saying. You're saying don't, you're not saying to uh, stop doing that, which you should do. You're saying, look for the higher calling, the higher purpose, the higher motivation, get more out of what you're going to do anyway, because you're going to do it. We're meant, we do stuff all the time. We hate that's, you know what? That's kind of the definition of being a man is to do the <laughs> stuff that yeah. sucks and that you don't want to do. That's, you know, that's maturity in becoming a man. As a teenager, you do things to avoid doing the things you don't want to do. When you grow up and you become a man, you go, you know what? This stinks. I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm a man. Right. So you're not saying to stop doing those things. What you're saying is now that you're doing those things you ought to, see if you can find joy. See if you can find some purpose, higher purpose in doing it beyond just duty, which is a great starting point. And I think everybody should do things out of duty. I but do too. Right. There is a higher law there. And I, I love that story transitioning from sense of duty to sense of calling. And that's, that's really neat because you, you went from doing, serving your spouse and your love, your, your, um, the person that you love in a certain way and you're doing it out of duty and obligation and you made it so that it was a much higher, fuller calling. And it's much more rewarding to do it that way. Cause you don't have that resentment. You know, I feel, yeah, I, ch I went from seething to, I would come home and look for dishes and I would be happily washing dishes. You know, I, it wasn't long after that when I, that I realized there was two things my wife didn't like to do. Right. Yeah. Ditches. And she didn't like folding clothes. Right. The rest huh. of the stuff she was good with. 
Well, those became my things that I loved to do, right? And I would come mm-hmm. home and look for dishes. I would come home, look for clothes. And I would, we would be doing stuff and I'd be folding clothes. And she'd say, stop, just talk to me for a little while, right? And I'd say, okay, I'll stop. But I, I knew, okay. and she knew, and I know she inherently knew. Yeah, He's doing that because I don't want to. And he loves me. He, he's doing it happy, right? And, and right, to this day, yeah. I can't fold clothes without smiling because I feel like I'm serving. I look for dishes. I look for yeah. clothes folded. And, and there's plenty with my kids, right? And so and, sure. and, and it, it fills me. When I get to fold clothes, there's some in the dryer right now that are dry. And as soon as they're done, I'm going to run back there and grab them and fold them. Yeah. Because it feels like I'm serving her. And that feels so good to me still right those two things specifically feel so good to me that it's something yeah. i look forward to right and i think that's kind of the point is that you made a great point you're gonna do it anyway why not get everything you can out of it right why not do it happily number one and get good stuff for you out of it and number two let your spouse see you doing that you know i, I don't i think the lady that you talked to that said you ruined mm-hmm. it when you told your spouse that you were doing it. My wife didn't yeah. like to hear that either. I tried, I've tried all kinds of things with her, but she saw it, right? If I said, Hey, I'm doing dishes because yeah. I love you, it would ruin it for my wife. She's she is the same way as that other lady. Yeah. And she, but it's she's not, so, it, it's not her love language. So right, right, right. So, but I know I would come home from work and head to the kitchen. And smile and start washing dishes. She'd say, come down. And, well, first thing I'd do is she taught me to come in and kiss her and say, I love you. And, and, and first, when I got home, I hunted her mm-hmm. down. No matter what she was yeah. doing and getting her a kiss and said, I love you. I'm, I'm home. I'm happy to see you. That, she taught me that. That's the first thing she needed. And then I would head to do dishes or fold clothes, right? And she would all the time say, stop, come hang out with me for a little while, right? But she knew why I was doing it. And mm-hmm. and. I'm a, I'm a big fan of leverage and you know this, if you're going to do something, get everything you can out of it, not just for you, but for everybody else yep. too. Right. And a big part yeah, of that the is, good. yeah, get, it's the, it's the, the bar graph, right? How much good can you get out of it? How much good can you give out of it? And I'm going to fill as, as many squares, as many squares as you can. <laughs> and I'm going to be remember thought- that on the whiteboard for I'm- everything. Marketing. I'm going to be very thoughtful in how I approach everything, right? Because I'm going to get everything I can out of it, and I'm going to make sure everybody else gets everything I can get out. They can get out of it, right? If you have to do something, yeah. get everything, right? I'll, I'll share a quick story about John Cox. You know John Cox, right? Oh yeah, I love John. Hopefully his, hopefully his wife you should get watch him on one of these calls. Yeah, he's he's a great. That dude. would be fun. Okay. So, anyway, go ahead. He came to me one day at work. He used to work for me. And, uh, he said, Hey Kyle, my wife is going to the doctors. His wife was pregnant. She was going to have a baby. And he said, uh, she wants me to show up at the sonogram with her, but I told her I might not be able to, but she already has a babysitter. So if I can, it's okay. But if it's okay with you, can I go? And I said, well, it sounds like you've already got it cleared that she knows you may not be there. And yet he's like, yeah, she, she already has a babysitter. So. If I can't go, it's okay. I said, John, this is a great chance for us to leverage this for you. He said, what? I said, here's what you want to do. 
tell her you'll try to be there, but don't tell her for sure. You already got a babysitter? He's like, yeah. I'm like, perfect. I said, what I want you to do is, is meet her there. Tell her you might not be able to go there, but meet her there and go get flowers on the way. So show up to the sonogram before she goes in to meet the doctor and have flowers. And he's like, what? Yeah. And then you tell her, you say, you know, Kyle really didn't want me to go, but I said, I really need to be with my wife. And so I told him I'm, I'm, I'm going and you, and Kyle said, okay, if you need to be there, go and tell her you fought for this and then, and then go over there and give her the flowers and then take her out to lunch afterwards and take your time. Come back when you, whenever you can. Right. And John's like, what the crap? And I'm like, dude, leverage this. I mean, show her how much you love her. I mean, it's a great opportunity. You already got a babysitter. Yeah. Perfect. This is perfect. I said, take a three hour lunch if you need to. I don't care. And he, so that's what he did, right? I don't know exactly the words he used or anything, but sure, he came back and he said, you have no idea. And for months after that, she was telling all her friends what a wonderful, great husband he was, right? Because he thought, how can I express my love in a, in a deeper, more full fashion? Way, yeah. Let me think this through. Now, some people might call that manipulation. I would call it love your wife. Love the crap yeah. out of your wife. Do it. Love your wife, right? I mean, she, you know, you know this, and, and I've told you this before. My wife liked flowers. Mm-hmm. And, and I would go to the florist in December of every year and fill out 12 cards. And I would give them my credit card. And I would say every day next, next year on a certain day of the month, I don't care what day it is. I want you to deliver $35 worth of flowers to my wife with one of these 12 cards. I don't care what day it is, but all next year, once a month, she should get flowers from you. Here's my credit card on file. Make sure they're great looking flowers. You've sold, you know, 12 times $35 worth of flowers all year. If you do a great job, I'll renew. Right. And my wife once a month would get flowers. And some days it would be after we didn't get along the day before. Some days it would be when we're getting along wonderful. It did not matter. When I got home from work on the day she got flowers, she ran to the door and she, she hugged me and she said, thank you so much. Right. And I knew she liked flowers, but I'm not the best at remembering all these things. Right. I got a lot going on, sure. but if I can systemize it and, and she, well, here's, what's interesting. I told some friends about this. I'm not, you're not the first one I've told. I've told a lot of people about this, you know, yeah. and we're not good at showing our wives. We love them sometimes. Whatever we can do to magnify that they know we love them, we should, right? And I told a buddy of mine, and he told his wife. And his wife didn't like it. She thought it was manipulative. So she went and told my wife. And I came home one day, and my wife said, hey, I just heard something interesting. And I said, what's that? And she said, I heard that you don't actually buy flowers once a month. You get them delivered. You kind of do it more systematically. And I said to her, who are you going to believe? The man that loves <laughs> or some stranger that, that obviously is not looking out for you. And she smiled the biggest smile you've ever seen. And I think and she exactly. knew it was true. She knew yep. it was true and she did not care. Right. Yeah. She wanted those flowers. She loved them. She knew I loved her. 
she did not challenge me on it. She did not say, tell me the truth, right? She just smiled because she realized I was doing that out of love, right? Call it whatever mm -hmm. you want. She knew that I wasn't the best at it, at being romantic. And it, it was my attempt, right? And we never had mm -hmm. that again. And it, it was interesting. The month after she passed away, guess what showed up? Flowers for Shelly. Uh, they were still coming. Yeah. Right? And, yeah. and it's interesting how, as men, we, we got to think about it, right? Our wives shouldn't be an afterthought. Our wives should be the thought. We should take mm -hmm. some time, plan out and map out and meet their needs on the highest level we possibly can. And if we'll do that, that is clearing and they'll feel it and they'll reciprocate, right? They just want to feel it Maybe. and they'll reciprocate. So on that note, um, I think it's important to, to allow grace for our spouse to not reciprocate. And because otherwise you get into the realm of, I do this for you. You should do this for me. Yeah. And that's a lower, that's not out of do, duty. That's not out of love. That's out of, I'm trying to get something from you. Right. And you know, there's a, I love this quote from ether. Now I'm looking is if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weaknesses. I give unto men weaknesses that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. And then this is the key thing. If they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, then I will make weak things become strong unto them. And doing things out of duty, I think, is kind of the weaker side, right? The obligation. And then by changing that and making it a sense of love, you'll find ways to get the most out of it. And you know, your flowers an analogy. Yeah. Manipulation is one way to call it. You can also call it engineering a happy yeah. marriage. Where do you go? Where do you go? Architecting it out. I'm putting in, Hey, the requirements are this for safety and this is what I'm going to do. So sure. call it what you want. Manipulation, love engineering. I, love engineering. I prefer I start using that engineering, engineering romance. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. There you go. That's a fantastic, that's a great way to say it. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. Um, I, the, it's in the same vein as, you know, you got to know your spouse and for my spouse, the fact that I tell her that I'm doing this because I love you, that yeah. makes it better. Yeah. If it didn't make it better, I wouldn't do it. Right. So you know, if someone's listening to this and they start telling their spouse, I'm doing these things for you, that, that might come off really bad. Right? Test. That's test. Whew, yeah. That's yeah. on something minor and see what the reaction is. Right. And don't go off of the first test. Go off yeah. of, you know, do it spread right out, doing things minor, see what the reaction is, get a sample size of at least five or 10. Yeah. Before you are doing it all the time for me doing it, when I do something for her and I point it out, she's grateful because she would not have noticed. Yeah. And she wants to notice. Sure. But sure. there's so much going on in her life. She's got the focus on the kids, which, you know, we talked about earlier. That's yeah. kind of that nurture spirit. And 
Uh, this is an interesting one. Have you ever been jealous of your kids? No, never. I'm not, yeah. I don't, I'm not kind of, I'm really not that way. I, yeah. You know, I think, I think it's, uh, my wife, my, my love language is words of affirmation, but that mm-hmm. was, my wife never did that. Yeah, and, and so maybe this is probably a good point to transition to, you said grace, and I think that's a beautiful mm-hmm. way to approach it, right? Because uh, my wife, I can't recall her ever really saying to me, I love you first. Hmm. Yeah. If I said I love you, she would say I love you too, right? There was no, and I knew she loved me, but she was not a cheerleader at all. Right. So I've talked wonderfully about my wife and there are so many wonderful things. This is a side of her that I was never, ever going to, she was never going to, I was never going to get that. Right. I had to become, you probably know this. I have to be, I had to become my own biggest cheerleader. Right. Yeah. I had to, I had to perceive those things. Right. And I had to look for ways that she showed me she loved me and, and form fit. Right. Because if I would have ever said to myself, I just wanted to say, I love you first. And that, and if I told her that it just wasn't her nature. Right. And I would have been, I would have been disappointed forever. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's important for us as men to, to realize there's, there's, we have to give them grace in a lot of areas that they're, you know, there's certain things we're never going to do. Right. Because our nature is just a certain way. Right. And we want to change that and be as good as we can. But we also need to extend a lot of grace to our wives and say, I got to figure that it's, you know, we can't change other people. We can change ourselves. Right. And so I've, I've got to figure this out so that I feel loved. I know she loves me. Right. And I need to feel loved and I need to figure this whole thing out. And it was one of the things I kind of, that was one of the things I kind of struggled with early on. And I, and I, kind of started to come to the conclusion, you know, she's here. She, we get along. She ha- she loves me, you know? Sure. And after she passed away, hey, after she passed away, I actually had people come to me and say, let me tell you what Shelly said about you. And I'm like, uh, why did she say that to me? Right. I, uh, you know, why did, and, and maybe it's because I, I have this, I think people think I'm pretty, buoyant anyway he doesn't need it well I, you are i am he doesn't need to mm-hmm. hear that he's doing a good job he knows it right or or i think people perceive that of me you know and, and you might tell me i'm mm-hmm. yeah okay you probably nod your head yeah Kyle's he's doing fine he doesn't need to hear it. he knows right and i think that's kind of the the vibe i give off but i had multiple people let i mean her friends come up to me and say I want to tell you a story about one time she told me this about you. And I'm like, holy crap. I wish she would have told me that, right? I could have used mm-hmm. that. You know? But knowing that she was out there doing that third party kind of stuff was made me feel like it was in her. It just, it was just this thing between us. Right. And, and uh, obviously you have to extend that grace. Right. There were so many things. Yeah. that. There's probably so many things that your spouse does wonderfully that it becomes 
second nature and you don't really focus on those wonderful things. You tend to find the things that annoy or frustrate or aggravate. Right. And spending time in those areas, it makes you start to ignore those wonderful things. And I, I guess I, I just was always, I had this cognitive confirmation bias that said my wife was wonderful. And I was always looking for and always finding, right? And that's what I tend yeah, to do yeah. on more than anything, right? And I think that's a big reason why we had that kind of relationship. I'll tell you one, one funny story. I was never the jealous type. And my wife mm -hmm. wasn't. My wife wasn't either, right? And I'm super friendly. So when we're in the cashier mm -hmm. line, we're checking out. I would chat people up, the cashier. I would say, how you doing? Good. And we would leave and she'd say, you know, that that lady thinks you're flirting with her. And I would say, what? I'm just being friendly. And she would say, I know. And I would say, should I stop? Is that bad? She's like, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. So I knew she wasn't jealous, right? She had no jealousy in her. Sure. And she would say to me, that's a handsome fellow over there, right? And it didn't bother me. It was, we would just talk to each other. Well, I remember one time we were in Walmart and I saw a lady across Walmart and I said, oh, that's a pretty lady over there, right? And my wife looked and she said, you know what you're doing, don't you? And I said, what am I doing? And she said, look at her. She said, she's fair skinned. It looks like from here, she might have blue or green eyes. She's a brunette. She's, she looks just like me. Hmm. She yeah. said, you always do that. Everybody that you point out as being pretty, they look like me. And I said, mm -hmm. I didn't even realize that. She said, I, she said, I, I've come to this conclusion that I'm your picture of beauty. And when you see other people that look like me, and I think it's because I had so, focused so much on her becoming mine, right? I wanted that. I yep. want her to be. I want to cleave to her. I want her to be my picture of beauty. I want her to be my picture of yep. femininity. I want her to be my picture of wonderful, right? So I'm looking for and finding those things in her. And I think when we start to do that, that, that really is cleaving, right? That, that draws us closer and they feel that. And I think yeah. it's not an idea. Women, you want to make your man happy? You want to make your man work hard for you? Let me give you a little secret. Tell him you make me happy. And watch what mm. he watch. If you walk up to your man and you say, I want you to know you make me happy. I know you work hard for me. You work hard for our kids. Whatever it is he does that's good, call it out and say, mm -hmm. that happy. Your man will do anything to make you happy. It's when he thinks he can't make you happy, he stops trying. Yeah. That's our and he, he doesn't just stop trying, he actually will withdraw. Because it's painful to expend energy without any reward. And so we will stop. We will start to withdraw. And if your man is withdrawing, you can suck him back in. You can do it quickly, simple. And, you know, some, the, the stereotype is uh, be physically intimate with him. That, yes, that can help. But it's whatever that love language is for him. Whether it's a word of affirmation saying, hey, you fulfill me, you, you cause sensations in my heart that I can't get from anywhere else. You know, that's really neat. Um, or it could be making, maybe it's his favorite dinner and say, hey, I know how much you love this. I'm doing this, right? Here's your favorite yeah. dinner. Whatever it is that's meaningful to them, you can suck them back. 
And I've never never met a man. I've never met a man that if you tell him I'm doing this because I love you and you make me happy, I've never met a man that says you've ruined that. Men will eat that crap. I mean, you you can capture your man so quickly if you just say, yeah, I, I th- Cameron, I remember I called you one time. Remember this? I called you and said, hey, uh, go ask your wife if she makes you happy. Right? Because I, yeah. you, you remember this? So I, I kind of do, yeah. Yeah. I was talking to a friend of mine, and we were talking about the subject. All men want to do is make their women happy. That's what we want to do. And if we're making you happy, we're good. The problem is way too many women are afraid to say that. It seems, right? I went to my wife one time and I said, hey, do I make you happy? And she said, what do you mean? And I said, do I make you happy? And she said, is this a trick question? I said, "Eh, right. And she, and I said, I just want to know. She said, yeah. I said, okay. It took me three times to, all I want to do is make you happy. Just, right? Well, I thought, I got a great wife. So I started calling all my buddies. I said, hey, I got a question for you. What? Go ask your wife if she makes you happy and what to see what she says. And I called about 10 friends. You were one of them. Yeah. And I remember your wife said, no, you're not supposed to make me happy. I'm supposed to make myself happy. It's not your job to make me happy. It's my job to make me happy. Right. And I said, see, I told you. I told you. They went, yep. I'm telling women, just say to your husband. And you know what? If you don't feel like he does, look for reasons that he that you can call out, and he will yeah. make you intensify those reasons. If you say it makes, and you know what? Happy. Here's the real secret: if you do that, if you do that, it will make you happy. Will, if you look for those things, and you, you call it, out, it. <laughs> it explodes inside for you. It just doesn't help him. It helps you. You know what? What we look for, we find, right? If you look Absolutely. for reasons that your yeah. husband makes you happy, you will find them. And if you go tell him, he will, he will magnify those things. Because yeah. I promise you, the reason men give up and withdraw and quit caring, it's not because we don't love you. It's because we don't think we can make you happy. We try. But if you don't, if we don't feel that, or you don't say that, or we just go, nothing I do makes her happy. I just, I'm, I'm giving up. And that is dangerous, right? Yeah. And so, it's you know, why faith is such an action word. Um, if you, it, that faith causes action, right? The reason people say, hey, if you just have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. Well, yeah. it's because when you look at the mountain, you go, well, I can't. So you don't even try. Right. But if you think you can impact your wife in a positive, honestly, honest to goodness manner, if you think you can, then there's less barriers to prevent you from trying. And most men will likely try because we want to make you happy. We, that's the whole reason we got into the marriage together was to be able to be in a happy relationship with someone else who can. Where we can be the best that we can and have the greatest good outcome with someone else, where we cause some action that leads to the emotion of happiness. If you can't stand to be made to be happy because you're supposed to be happy yourself, then by golly, just think the words if you need to and allow us to have an influence or have 
contributed to your joy and happiness. If we're not going to make you happy, at least let us contribute. Let us contribute. We want to. I promise we want to. We want to so bad. You know what? Here's, let me tell you what a man loves. A man loves when he walks into the room with his wife and she's smiling. It doesn't matter what she even looks like. Okay. It's not your figure or your hair being right or your eyelashes or that. What shows what a man, what a man loves is when people see his wife happy because they know he's making her happy, right? This is all, this is, we, I loved going places with my wife because she would smile at everybody and she would engage people and people, she connected with people and they saw her happiness. And I'm telling you, I felt like I was part of the reason. And it made me glow, right? It just, you know, and and that's what men want. We, you know, uh, you see sometimes couples walking around together and men just seem defeated, right? They're just, they're not, because they're trying and they're, you know, and the women are, you know, it's just, man, if you can smile with each other and walk around happily, it makes such a difference. Look for, and maybe that's the, the point to this whole thing is look for, and find wonderful and beauty and joy and service in your spouse. And if you look for it, you'll find it. And if you find it, announce it to each other, right? It's okay to, to pump your spouse up, right? It's okay. Yeah. It's not, you know, and I think that's when I talked to my son, he said something that was interesting because he knew we were a team, right? It was Shelly and I against the world. And by the way, my kids were part of the world. They weren't, I mean, they were also are my kids, but it was her and I against them in some cases, right? And they, they realized those two are a team. Those two, they're inseparable, right? They're, they're one. If I talk to mom, I'm talking to dad and there ain't no, there ain't no going back and forth between the two of them, right? They're together on this mm-hmm. crap. And, and it, it saves you a lot of, a lot of problems and trouble. Because kids can use you against each other and they can create conflict if, if you are not, you know, together in your approach uh, to a lot of things, right? Finances, uh, you got to get together on this stuff and, and cleave in, in all those areas. And when you do, it'll connect you in a way that people will see that these people are connected. You know, I, I had a, I had a guy come or a, a lady come up to me one time, uh, when we used to go to church. I had one son that didn't like to really get ready and he was always kind of late. So I would take half the family to church and we would sit on a certain row every week. And my wife would come in sometimes on time, sometimes a minute late, sometimes two, three, four, whatever, sometimes 10 minutes late. But every time she would come in, the door would open and I would see her walk in and it it would light me up because she had this feminine beauty about her. Right. And it would just, and I always, and I remember I started looking for it. She would come in, she's wearing a dress, she's dolled up for church, right? And and it's it's my picture of her of her just feminine beauty, right? And she would walk in, and I had a lady come up to me one day and said, she said, I love watching you watch your wife come into church. And I said, What? And she said, Yeah, that's it, where I can see you. And she said, I can see you how you look at her. And I said, well, go tell her that. And I like, I pulled yeah. 
And so she did, right? But I know I I I I didn't I knew I was doing it, but I didn't really it wasn't kind of conscious, you know. Sure. But I know it mattered to her too, because I was watching and I wanted to see my wife walk in, right? And I just yep. wanted to see it every Sunday. And it just it and 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 she would come in with the this look on her face, you're right. Even though she'd been battling one of my sons to get to church. She would come in and she would smile at me and I would smile at her. And sometimes it would be a smile of, he was troubled today. I'm here now. You can help me out. Right. Or sometimes it was a smile that he, he, he did okay. Right. But it was, oh, we knew we were a team and we were going to battle this together no matter what it was. Right. So mm-hmm. I see you looking up That's something you know, what's on your mind. Uh, well, I was just looking up. So Adam Smith is an economist and you know, I'm an armchair economist. I love yeah. Those type of things, but this is one of the best quotes about what men desire, and I think it applies to women, but to a lesser degree. Um, or maybe you know what? It's not to a lesser degree, it's just more complex for them. I think it's simple for men, and it's man naturally desires not only to be loved, but to be lovely or to be that thing which is the natural and proper object of love. I just love that quote. Anyway, so that's that's so true. How can you argue with that, right? Now, a lot of men yeah. will do that because it's not a very masculine thing to say, but it's true. We, I think, we all have that desire. It's one of the six basic human needs, right? You want love? And I don't connect? know. So where, where does that fall? Because you got shelter and food and shelter or water. No, no. And the then... Six basic human needs are different. Okay. Yeah. Six basic human needs. There's Tony Robbins talks about six basic human needs. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Certainty, uh, variety. I think it's significance, love and connection, growth. And I want to say the last one is contribution. Maybe I might be getting those wrong. Somebody can fact check me. But. All right. It's Maslow's hierarchy of needs is the one I was yeah, that, thinking. Yeah, that's different. Were... Yeah. Well, but... this one actually is different than the one I was saying. So this is mm-hmm. uh, yeah. actualization, achieving one's potential, esteem, accomplishment, love, belonging, safety, and psychological. So that's yeah. different too. That's but different too. Anyway, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. It... Love and connection. either In either list, right? It's a, it's a, it's a major desire that we all have. I, I think it's interesting. You know, you and I had this quick conversation, even though my wife passed away almost two years ago, I still feel married to her. I still feel yeah. connected to her. Right. So deeply, you know, I can't talk to her, but I, I kind of do in the evenings. I, I kind of report, you know, and, and listen for guidance and those kind of things, but I still feel so intimately connected with her that it's interesting to me because, you know, I've, I've actually been called out by multiple people now in some church hierarchy have called me in and said, you know, it's okay to date. And, and I said, okay, I understand that whenever the time is right, I will. I have, I have zero desire. I still feel like she's, you know what I'm saying? I just, yeah. And I know it's because it's, of my it's a consequence of becoming one with someone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I that's the uh, what a wonderful little 
testimony of the un- unity that you had with Shelly because it, it would still it still doesn't feel right to go out and try and date somebody. Nope. Essentially, and you know what, Kyle? I predict this. If it ever comes to that point, it's not that you're going to go be trying to find somebody to join you. It's going to be that you're going to go find somebody to join with. And that's going to be different. And someday we can talk about the difference between joining you and joining with. But I don't, man, you know, I can't imagine trying to have to navigate those waters again. I w- I'm so crazy happy with my bride and I, I, my wife of 25 years. The thought of dating somebody else is... Yeah. Yeah. No, yucky. It's right. It, it seems foreign because essentially what they're going to be doing, because I'm so united with Sarah, they're going to end up dating Sarah, which is weird to say out loud. So that is weird. let's not I even get believe you said that, Cameron. I did. Because <laughs> I'm and all the baggage now, it's not just my baggage that right. they would have to deal with. It's going to be my baggage and Sarah's baggage. Right. Yes. I don't know how they do it. And I've watched my in-laws who have uh, lost a spouse through death or divorce and they get married again. And I'm just, I'm in awe with the transition because I can't, I know that I would have a hard time being alone. That, that is a truth statement. I don't know what I would do if I was not, if I didn't have Sarah with me, like, yeah. And I would that would be torture. I don't know what I would do, but making that transition where then you, it's okay to have someone else. So Sarah's the ruler in which I measure greatness and beauty and everything that's desirable. Right. Well, to, to be able to date again, how do you, so now everyone has to compare themselves to the ideal. That's not fair to them. Yeah, I don't. I don't well, know how to. Here's what yeah, you would probably just, do: you would live in. Uh, you know, you would. I can. I can tell you, my experience has been. Yeah. You know, you said something that rings true. You said, um, "It's not. I. I couldn't be alone. I would live in torture. It mm-hmm. can be that." Right. And, and that's a, it's something that you face. Right. Yeah. But being, being alone, still feeling married to her, still feeling her presence, still being surrounded by people. You know, I was, I was at a high school football game last night. My son played high school football and there was hundreds of people around me and I felt alone. Hmm. Right. And it's, it's like you said, it's sometimes it is torture, right? And you can't escape it, but I'm so grateful. I mean, I can't, you know, having, having thought I was going to lose her 15 years ago and then having her for 15 more years, I am so grateful that my kids got to know her, my twins know who their mother is they've seen yeah and felt her right 
I'm so grateful for those 15 years. And I think those 15 years might have been the best because of the change in me and because of the way she and I faced major trials in our lives together and really uh, turned to divinity, right? I mean, there were, there were times, I, I don't want people to, to misread the fact that there were times when my wife and I were at opposite polar ends of our relationship was damaged in some cases. There were times mm -hmm. when we were, you know, looking back, I remember one time we were talking about it and she said, there were times where I just didn't want you ever come home again. That, so, and there were times where I thought, this isn't the life I signed up for. I'm leaving and I ain't coming back. Now, she never yeah, told me that in the, the moment. Truth. She never yep. told me that in the That's moment. That's I never told her that in the moment, right? But, but as we talked later on about some of the things we've faced in our family and some of the just heartbreaking trials and tragedies, it made it facing those things as a team made us stronger, right? Even though sometimes I was ticked off at her and sometimes she was ticked off at me, we still weren't going anywhere, right? We weren't, right. We, we fought through that and fought for us. And I think that's a big part of it, right? Knowing, trying to find the beauty in each other, trying to find the, the, the value and the wonderfulness in each other, right? I think that, is just a huge part of it because I, I promise no good marriage is not going to go through situations where you think, holy crap, this is what I expected, right? And it's going to be, I'm telling you from, I don't want to be here anymore. This is my thought and her telling me down the road, I didn't want you to ever come home again. You know, again, I'm not suggesting we say that in, in real time. I'm suggesting we, we have these look backs and we say, we've been through some hard stuff, right? Mm -hmm. it, it made us stronger. So for when, when I say top 1% happy marriage, I don't want people to think they were soulmates or no, dude, this is work. This is. Uh, soulmates. This is, that's a fun discussion. Because <laughs> the world's definition of a soulmate is a load of crap. Yeah. You can, you can become soul united and mates, you know, where your spirit and body combined with their spirit and body combined is a, a unit. That is true. I believe you can become that. The idea that you happen upon somebody and it just clicks and works for the rest of your lives together. Right where it's not work to become, oh, yeah. that just does not resonate as true. It's yeah. work and it's, it's work. worthwhile. It is worthwhile. Yeah. That's, there's, yeah. And, and anything worth having is worth working for, right? I mean, that's just mm -hmm. the reality of how the whole thing works. I think, I think part of the, the problem a lot of us have is we, is instead of focusing on, a lot of us have these goals, right? what I think my relationship or marriage should be, right? And we focus on the goal instead of focusing on the growth. And if we focus on the growth, then we get, right? We're constantly focusing on the growth and constantly making our marriage better and constantly working through things. Mm -hmm. You know, probably a month before my wife 
I passed away, we had a nasty argument. I remember. And it was over. I can't remember what it was over now. And guess what? It doesn't really even matter. Right. It, yeah. it was one of those knockdown, drag out. And again, we have a top 1% happy marriage. And we were not happy with each other. And yep. it was a knockdown, drag out conflict. Yep. Right. A month before she passes away. Right. Now, the good news is, and I and is I know within hours, she and I never cold shouldered each other. Right. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that we never did. And I know some people they grow up in that atmosphere and environment and they do that. And so we would figure stuff out, right? We would, we would come to some resolution and conclusions. And sometimes, sometimes it was to agree to disagree, but we still loved each other and we were going to figure some stuff out. But yeah, a month before she passed away, we had a knockdown drag out argument and we went in our room and closed the door. And I think the kids kind of got out of our hair because they knew there was something going down between mom and dad. Right. But you know, I mean, I don't know, hours, day, days, they still saw us loving each other. You know, it wasn't sure. like that was the end and that's what was left on. And guess what? If it had been left on that, it still doesn't matter. Right. It was, yeah. it was periphery compared to our, the total package of our relationship. Right. The I'm not gonna, years of what you yeah, together. Yeah. 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 And my kids know that they know I'm not afraid to talk to them about it either. You know, um, we'll mm -hmm. have discussions. And so go ahead. You know, that's the, so that brings up a thought about what to share with your kids about and when about the realities of marriage, because uh, there was a time that I thought it would be wrong for my kids to know that I had conflict with my wife. It wasn't phrased that way in my mind, but I didn't yeah. want them to think that their mom and dad had issues. So just so you know, my, if you ask any one of my kids, who's number one, it's Sarah. Right. And it, you ask them the lifeboat questions. I've never talked to them about that, but they know that all eight of them are done. And <laughs> Sarah's the one going to live. That's right? a hard thing to say. So I don't want people to take that the wrong way. It just very clearly distinguishes how much you love your wife. Right. And yeah. 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 Okay. Here's a real, here's a real conversation. Um, and, and, you know, I hope people understand what, where this came from, but there was a time when we were having to figure out what to do with our child, who we both love, who was having behaviors that put him and others at risk. And I'm six, eight. And if things had continued to progress down this road, and I believe in talking about the worst case scenario yeah, about everything. Sure. I like having a flow chart. Kyle has plans. I have flow charts. Right. And, um, when I was talking to Sarah and it was heart wrenching conversation because I expressed to her that as much as I loved our child, it was better. It was better that we have him live somewhere else where we could then our our relationship my 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 relationship and her relationship would be protected and we could nourish and strengthen that 
right. over potentially having a split where uh, this child became the primary focus. Right. And that not okay with me where the child became the primary focus and our relationship was torn. Right. And it did not go well. I did not phrase things well. I didn't use the right words. Yep. But the intent was that I choose her. And so that's what I finally started saying is when it comes down to it, Sarah, I choose you over all the kids. Right. That's what I'm saying is you're more important to me. And she's like, well, the child is important to me. I was like, is it more important than our marriage? Right. And she did not like that question. Yeah. Ooh, boy, that got me into trouble. But we had, we had the full discussion. Sure. Where she know, and I don't think she ever would say it. I don't yeah. think she's willing to, but I know that she values the marriage over the kids, but that's a decision. I think the, the Sophie's choice is the, uh, um, phrase that people use to describe an impossible decision about who, who lives and who dies. Right. In this case, she couldn't, she couldn't even comprehend that choice. But for me, I know that it's Sarah over any one of our children. Right. And it's Sarah and relationship wise too. So if down the road, one of our kids needs to come into our home for a time to receive help. Okay, great. If it causes contention between Sarah and me, they need to go. Right. And I love them, but this is my relationship with Sarah is far more important to me than collectively all of my relationships with my kids. And I think and that's that is everything to say. Well, it's, it's a, uh, you know, I've heard, I heard somebody one time say it's bad to make big life decisions in an emotional state. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think what we're describing here, and I, I would, I would suggest that women that listen to this are not going to like it at all. What we're saying. Yeah. Right? Because well, maybe they can gain some understanding about maybe the we, inner workings yeah, yeah. of a fella. Yeah. Well, and here's the, here's the bottom line too. Eventually, hopefully your kids will grow up and be gone. Yes. Right? Hopefully, maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully, eventually. And, uh, and who, what are you going to do then? Right. You kind of need to, it's, it's not a bad idea to, to try to connect with your spouse at a higher level. Right. And I realized this is one of the conversations I had with my son last night. And it, you know, there's this, a natural connection between mothers and kids, right? There's, there's, and they are wonderful nurturers and that that's by design. Right. And sometimes it yep. feels like to them that we're saying we're being cold and heartless. Right. And when in reality, we understand that nurture connection. And we, we mentioned this early on, there's going to be a time where you you come in second. There's, there's going to be a time where you come second, right? And you got to, you got to figure that out as a man. You got to figure out how to stay involved, stay right. Especially if you have multiple kids that have challenges as we both have, there are going to be times mm -hmm. where you're going to feel like she's spending so much time with them. I'm not getting nothing out of her, right? She's giving me nothing. Well, they're your kids. Grace is what you need to look at and figure some stuff out, right? You got to figure some yeah. stuff out as a man. It's being a man ain't easy. Being a woman ain't easy. And none of it's easy, right? But, yeah. you know, what you're talking about is hopefully you had that conversation 
when the emotions had died down, right? There, there's a time for every conversation, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when, when my wife was in the hospital, it was not the time to have certain conversations, right? Yep. Emotions were high. You know, uh, maybe six months after my wife passed away was not the time to have certain conversations, right? Maybe a year after my wife passed away was not the time to have certain conversations, right? And that's a lot of it is just is being thoughtful again, you know, when the emotions, you know, when it's in the past or when the emotions have subsided a little bit, there are times to have those conversations, right? I, I, you know, until you get my goal. My goal is to have those conversations before the emotional state is there. Good luck, man. So, holy moly, that's yeah, that's, God, Lee, isn't that's, that nuts? That's nuts. Worst case scenario, guy here. Oh well, let's get a flowchart in place so that when we get into the emotion, yeah, we don't have to we don't have to rely on our emotions. We can rely on the flowchart. Well, and here's well, where we set it, and this is the result. This is what our decision was when we weren't emotional about it. Let's yeah. follow the flow chart. Yeah. See, and, and I, That's, I, I think we do the same thing, but here's what I do. When events happen, right? And I, and I think, I didn't really like the way that went, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. Right after, right after Shelly passed away, everywhere I went, seemed like I, I'd go to Walmart and see an old couple and I'd, I'd all park. And I'd come home yeah. and I'd say, okay, now I know that's tough for me. I probably need to sit down and think how I'm going to approach that next time. And maybe my goal is to go to that couple and say, I love seeing you guys in love and, and find joy in it for them. And it'll fix me. Sure. Right. So I, I, I yep. can't say that I, that I look, I think what I do is when things happen and they don't go well, I go back home and I say, okay, it's probably going to happen again. I mean, you know, hopefully not, but if sure. it does, I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to, I'll map out some sort of preparation. Right. So then when it does happen, I can not fall victim. Right. So I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't think I'm a worst case scenario guy. I'm really an, the ultimate optimist, I think, but I'm, I'm, I'm also realized. Well, well, let me ask you this. Do you think I'm not an optimist? No, I mean, that. I'm, I'm talking about me. No. Because yeah. I, because well, I, I see well, things. I flow chart thing. I, I, I go down the, the awful road. Mm -hmm. So, and I can focus in on the, what. And I'm not is, saying, I'm not saying you're not an optimist. Right. I don't want to, I'm not okay. taking it that way. I, I guess I just, I guess I just, once I experience it, then I, then I make the plan. Right. And, okay. and try to come up with a, it's what like. You uh, see someone else who experiences well, I mean, that, that happens naturally, right? If somebody else goes through an experience and you think, like when my wife passed away, I knew we weren't mm -hmm. the first ones that that had happened to. I knew there was, right. can ruin families. It can ruin kids' lives. I sat down and made a plan with each of my kids. Not but you waited until afterwards. When your yeah. wife passed away, I started flow charting things right away. See, my wife's still alive. And I, right, 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 right. That is a difference. That is a difference. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, again, I think we're, we're running down the same path here, right? Yeah. But I'm also, I'm also not prone to, I don't know. I, I think it's just a different approach, but we, hopefully we're, you know, let me tell you, let me tell you I, where I'm I agree. With my son, Okay. Eric. 
right? My son, my son, Eric, who's more severe on the autism spectrum would exhibit certain behaviors, right? I didn't want to go through every behavior, every kid with autism had had ever in his life and come up with a plan. But when sure. he did exhibit certain things, I would sit down and say, okay, what's the challenge? What's the objective? What's the strategy? What's the tactics I'm going to follow and have a plan. So the next time it happens, I've got a plan and I can work that plan instead of being overly emotional or getting sucked into that. Right. So, so I didn't want to sit down and say, and maybe it was, maybe it's just, maybe it's just me not, not wanting to, I mean, I don't know. It's two different ways to approach it. Well, yeah, let me tell you this, Sarah, I discovered this, um, Jordan Peterson has a personality test to do with your spouse. Oh, it yeah. is so much fun. We did it for a date night. I think it's like 25 bucks or yep. maybe $30 total. And you both take it and then it tells you how you as a couple intersect with your personality. So it was a lot of fun. We discovered so much during that, as we took that test. And then we started down this train of discussing things when our son was diagnosed with OCD, moral OCD, and um, being on the autism spectrum, we started, I started to realize that I have a lot of the same traits. Like, uh, I'll tell you sometime about being, uh, there, there's a number that won't leave me alone. And I use that because it's not a choice. It just, this number is everywhere. When I see it, I get a little bit of a thrill. Um, if I see a pattern that includes it, I solve it. It's bizarre, right? It's just, it happens in my head. Right now, I found out that my wife shows up to uh, events and social settings and she just exists and she goes with the flow. I didn't know people did that. Mm. I, I have, if I'm showing up at a social setting, I prepare in my mind who I'm going to be seeing, things that I want to say to certain people to help buoy them up. I, I, have this plan and a flow chart to deal with conflict. If conflict arises, I have a, a whole thing before I show up. And my wife, she's like, that, that's so much work. I just show up. I was like, how, how can you just show up? Right. So it's different strokes for different folks. And sure. for me, I, I plan for everything. My wife used to make fun of me because I'd be driving in the car and move my hands. And she's like, who are you talking to now? Because I prepare for conversations and it's why some people think I'm really quick witted. No, I've just been thinking about the subject before for ages, you know? So there's, there, there's a different method. Um, and for me, it's all pre, which gotcha. is okay. There are some big downsides to it. Cause I, I faced a lot of demons that a lot of people don't ever have to face. I, for example, my son who, uh, was tortured by suicide ideation, he's still alive. Thank goodness. I'm grateful for that. I've mentally I have prepared for his death so far to have written the, the talk I will give at his funeral. People don't do that. That's torture. But for me, it was very freeing and liberating because now I know what the worst case scenario is that I can imagine. I'm no longer right. scared of that and I can work and focus in on avoiding the worst case scenario. So gotcha. you're right. Different people are different. Right. Yeah. Well, either way, back to our original subject, cleaving. Yeah. I think the idea that you just let it happen 
is, you know, I, I, I told somebody recently, they said they were living on uh, hope and faith, right? And I said, you mm. know, hope and faith is wonderful, but you need a plan too. And they said, what? I yeah. said, let's make a plan. And they said, it says to rely on hope and faith. I said, yeah, I agree. Now let's make a plan. I said, a plan is where you take action on your hope and faith. <laughs> you know what yeah. I'm saying? I mean, and, and I, again, I'm, I'm not the kind of pre-plan everything, every event, but certainly mm -hmm. if something causes me to stress or frustration, I'm also the guy that if I get offended by something, I start to ask myself, why am I offended by that? What is it that I need to figure out about me that doesn't allow people to say whatever they want to say and somehow I'm hurt? I don't right, want anyone yeah. else hurting me, right? I shouldn't let somebody else's words hurt me. So what am I, what, where do I lack confidence? What, what, what position do I feel isn't stable? I, you know, so whenever I get frustrated with somebody, I always think, okay, what's wrong with me that I'm getting frustrated? Yeah. I'm not just giving them space or, you know, so I'm always looking within. And I think that's probably um, a, a part of how, we've been able to create the world we created in our family uh, with our kids that are on the spectrum and all those things is that we have hope. We have faith. I have a lot of hope and a lot of faith, but yeah. I also had a plan. I mean, we also developed a plan and worked at cleaving unto each other. Right. I'm not sure it comes naturally. I don't know if it does or not. Maybe for some people it does, you know, I don't know, but I do know that if you work at it, if you, if you come up with an idea and work at it, then you're got, you you're, you're taking action towards those things. Right. Yeah. And, and, and if you have any, that should lead to action. It should. You believe it's possible. So right. there should be some action. What, uh, what advice would you give? And then I'll share my advice. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in marriage, how to work to cleave unto your spouse and none else? Golly, that's a loaded question, isn't it? That's yeah. so loaded. Well, I, first of all, I would say be patient. It may take 20 years for your spouse to know you love them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Even though, even though you've done nothing out of the ordinary, you know, I mean, I almost think that if you can get through, right, if you can work together to get through the tough stuff, it's going to bind you together, right? And I say work together to get through the tough stuff. One of the things my wife and I did is we had this little trigger in our relationship, right? We were not above divorce. We never, she and I never looked at each other and said, it can't happen to us. We knew we were not above anything, right? We knew we had to work. And so one of the things we did was whenever we found out about a friend or an acquaintance who was getting divorced, mm -hmm. we would stop everything we were doing and we would say, okay, let's sit down and let's talk about some areas where I need to improve and just tell me, I, I tell me in a loving manner what I can do to love you more and be better. And yeah. we might have a heated discussion about this, but let's have it. Right. And, and it, it happened almost yearly, right? You, you hear about people that are getting divorced. And if that's a trigger, if you hear about somebody or your wife hears about somebody's getting divorced, it can happen to you too. Don't think it mm -hmm. can. 
And if you say, you know what, I don't want it to happen to me. Let me go talk to my wife and say, how can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? And make effort. And, yeah. and if she's willing to say, how can I be a better mother and, and wife? And be gentle, be kind, be loving, right? And treat each other with that. That would be, if I were to say anything, that would probably be it, is, is take those moments to, to lovingly share with each other how you can make each other happier, right? What you can do to fulfill each other higher. And I think that's a powerful thing to do. If you're doing that consistently, and if you, if you connect it to uh, someone else getting a divorce, it'll happen often enough where you won't ever not stop doing it. <laughs> right? So I'm sad. Yeah. But how about no, you? No, that's great. What would your advice be? Uh, so first of all, re make decisions to act regardless of others' behavior, including your spouse. So you choose how you're going to be regardless of how they're treating you or how the situation is and make that independent because that's the grace you need to recognize. If you're trying to grow, you're going to be working on things that you're working on. They're going to be working on things that they're working on. And the things that they want you to work on might not be the things you're working on right now. You'll get to them. And vice versa. So allow enough grace, enough space for you to continue to work on the things that you're trying to work on to be a, the best possible spouse you can and allow them enough room to work on the things that they are working on and recognize that even if there's something that is really causing you angst and anxiety and hardship, it's okay. Cause that won't change the fact that you're still trying to work on becoming better. And then probably the next thing is, uh, in order to cleave unto none else, it's okay to go through hard things, identify it, don't avoid it, and then try and go through it together. And if you come up with a plan of action to overcome those things or a flow chart, in my case, make sure that your companion, your spouse is on board with it. Don't do it unilaterally. Don't make the decision and then act on it. Make sure that you're cleaving unto her and none else, or in my case, her and none else, instead of just yourself and none else, because right. that's a lone man in the wilderness. Yeah. So that's, that's my advice. Yeah. And, and maybe the best way to close this thing up is, is, um, we all need checks and balances, right? I mean, you, you said it, a lone man in the wilderness. It's all of us need someone that loves us that will tell us you're running down the wrong path here, right? Yeah. Be open to that, you know, and be willing to put your ego aside. And, you know, and, you know, you can, even if somebody's wrong, even if they're completely wrong, it makes sense to at least listen, right? You can yeah. find stuff that, you know, when your ego's out of the way, you can really make changes in your life that are going to be beneficial to, to you and to your spouse, you know, and, uh, don't take your spouse for granted. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> from experience and, and I, and I don't think I did, you know what I'm saying? I, I really don't. I have a friend of mine after my wife passed away. It didn't make me feel better in the moment, but it, it does yeah. now. He said, at least she knew how deeply, right? She knew how deeply 
you loved her. There's no question. Right. Yeah. And it, and it gives me comfort. And I think she still does. I think she feels it now, probably even more. She probably knows the depth even more now, you know, yeah. but make sure that you're doing things that are exhibiting that right consistently because no, tomorrow's never promised. It's not promised. So, yep. Well, Cameron, interesting conversation. So, um, yeah, I was going to say, so on the note of cleave unto your wife and none else before it's too late. No, that's, <laughs> it's not the best title, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for talking to, about this again. Yeah. Um, and say again, cause we've talked about this probably 10 years ago in different ways and it, yeah. it's so much fun. I look forward to these every week. Thanks for. I do too.